Bienvenidas tú, Merendeando, part of Radio Aluna Theater. For today's episode, our special guest host is uh, Neji Yua and Puerto Rican actor, writer, curator, storyteller, and emerging producer from Muscoachis, Alberta, located on Treaty 6 territory and is a member of the Samsung Cree Nation, Teresa Cutknife. Yay! Oh, thank you for having me. We're so excited to have you here with us today. And can you please help us introduce our special guest for today's episode? Of course. We are going to be talking to Claire and Gross today. Absolutely love her. If you didn't know, or for the people at home listening didn't know, Claire and Gross is a Toronto-based theater and visual artist. She's also the artistic director of Pencil Kit Productions, a company dedicated to generating new work. Her theater practice focuses on physical, visually compelling work and collaborative alternative theater making. Her current show at the Rutas Festival is called I Love the Smell of Gasoline. And I'm so excited to talk with her today and ask her about her process and about the show. So I'm so excited. And let's get started. Hi. Oh, we're so excited to have you. Claren, we know that this project I Love the Smell of Gasoline was born out of frustration and of facing the impending doom. What a way to start an interview, you know? Let's just talk about the impending doom. <laughs> and we want to know what was the main, like the main catalyst that you saw something happen, you saw something that you you were like, enough, I need to write this show right now. Yeah, so that was um, the 2019 federal election. So if I can bring us all back to that moment, it was uh, Canada voted in a liberal minority um, and Alberta and Saskatchewan were just all blue, like across the board, not a single seat that wasn't blue. And so in my little world, I was getting phone calls from home, really stressed out about the layoffs that were happening. The economic situation there was really dire. They were really upset about the Liberal Party getting elected. Meanwhile, on my like Facebook, I had friends posting memes mocking redneck Albertans for getting what's coming to them in terms of like like it was a it was a backlash to Wexit, right? Being like, oh, like you guys need to get your heads out of your asses type five. And even just like within my friend circles, there was this like, oh my God, like can you believe that like Alberta and Saskatchewan are voting all blue? Like how horrific. And I felt this like tension between like the world that I know in Alberta and like I know the reasons why those people are voting blue not that I agree with them but like I get I get it and this like liberal arts world that I live in with all the viewpoints that I personally ascribe to a real tension like a like a, how could these two worlds exist in such total opposite spheres and like there's no like bridge between those two worlds like I felt like a little mini bridge like telling trying to explain to my arts friends what's going on in Alberta and then trying to explain to my parents like why everyone's so mad at that, like that kind of the situation. So, and I felt in that moment, there was like a lot of hypocrisy, like a lot of people, I mean, we all love a scapegoat, like to point to and be like, Oh, that's the cause of the problem. I mean, even just when we talk about how conservative Canada is as a country, we love to point to Alberta and Saskatchewan and be like, mm, there's where it is. That's, that's the heart of the problem. And I'm like, I don't know. I think that's pretty hypocritical. Like, I think like Calgary and Edmonton have liberal mayors. Um, uh, at the time, they had an NDP provincial government. And meanwhile, we had Doug Ford in power and John Tory in power. And I was like, so it's not like it's not 
like there's something, there's an element to this that people in Ontario are missing, which is like, why is Alberta voting conservative federally when they're not necessarily voting that way on a provincial or municipal level? So anyway, I just want, I was like, ah, I feel like I need to bridge these worlds. And that's where the script came from. I hear you about the, like the, the, that kind of like tug of war of being a prairie person and yeah, just having, having that experience of like being from Alberta and like you're saying, like you, you know, the perspectives, even if like those aren't your specific like beliefs or values, but I guess moving on uh, to the, like our next question, being born and raised in Alberta, do you feel any um, responsibility or I guess maybe pressure to, to talk about the effects of the oil industry on on climate or um, honestly like any other industry like in Alberta that's quote unquote like supposed to be the like the main contributors to to climate change and, and, and things like that. I don't know that I feel more responsibility to talk about the the problems with the oil and gas industry only because I feel actually that like we all we know. I don't I don't feel like um, there's any Ontarians who don't think that the oil and gas industry is absolutely appalling um, or the coal industry or anything like that. If anything, I think I feel a a responsibility to complicate the conversation and again, bring like this, like here's what's actually happening on the grounds. I think it's the difference between how we talk about problems that aren't ours to solve, like when there are problems over there versus how people talk about problems when they are theirs to solve. If they're not yours, you have a lot more perspective you know, if you don't work in the oil and gas industry, it's easy to look at it and be like, yeah, that's <laughs> what are we doing over there? Like, that's terrible. We should stop that. But if you are someone who's working in it, it's not that simple. I think I'm going to repeat myself here. But yeah, because being a bridge between those two things, because I think that we're not going to get anywhere if those two components of the world aren't talking to each other. Like, you know, people who are not involved in the industry can come up with as many solutions as they want, but that's not going to change anything until the people who are part of a part of the problem and therefore have to be the solution are acting and yeah and that kind of I don't know it's complicated that's why I wrote a whole play (laughs) (laughs) you're like if you want to know more just come see the show we're gonna (laughs) dive into it and it's it's gonna be great too like it's because I when I saw uh the one you did in Caminos it was also like funny and endearing because I, I feel it's really important that it's like, this is from your perspective. This is not like generalize. This is how it is. So yeah. that, that was like, yeah, yeah. I chose, I purposefully wrote it autobiographically because I was like, you know, all the stuff that I want to talk about, like the hypocrisy, the like not actually knowing what's going on. I can give you all the hypocrisy. Like <laughs> I can give you all of the ignorance. Like I, I have it. And I was like, I think the whole thing is people get really defensive if they feel like there's a finger pointing at them. And I was like, okay, so if I can take this from a really personal, personal place, then I think people will be able to absorb what applies to them just from watching me go through my own emotional processing. So in the last few years, you have produced and direct multiple projects. And with I Love the Smell of Gasoline, which I also love uh, that title. It's so beautiful. And I do love the smell of gasoline, which is uh, pretty good. Uh, (laughs) You are the center of the play. Like you are the performer. You're, this is it. It's you. And what is the difference between these roles when developing a project? Like when you, when you're producing and directing and now that you're centered, like how does it feel different when you have all that experience being like behind the scenes? Honestly, thus far, I've been treating the project as if, 
I'm the director and kind of ignoring the performer aspect of it, mm. like in the, all the workshops we've done so far. So like the performance is like the last piece that comes in on the last day. And I basically just memorize my lines and get up and do it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this going into Rutas, that's going to be my first time actually becoming the performer and letting go some of the directorial stuff. I've hired Will Dow um, as a director. So he's going to he's going to help me out by taking some of that mental load off of me and helping me get into a performer place. I'm nervous. I haven't performed since I graduated acting school. So we'll see. It's it's going to be different. It's different now. But um, up until now, it's been kind of the same. I've been ignoring the performer aspect and just focusing on directing and producing. <laughs> it's a lot of hats to be wearing because I also wrote it. Right. So it's yeah, it's a lot. I it uh, definitely takes lots of collaborators to make it all happen i feel like there's a saying where it's like writers hate to write and actors hate to act <laughs> so i feel like it's all the same around where it's like directors hate to direct so. <laughs> well that's a great quote i know i often have like wow i hate writing <laughs> as i'm writing a play i'm like this is sucks i'm performing you know what though i love directing i always love directing um this is one of the reasons i was like oh maybe i should be a director if this is what actually is bringing me just like pure joy um, but writing and acting are both really stressful <laughs> and vulnerable. They're much more vulnerable. I think that's it. A curiosity that I have <laughs> that we have, I think, is that I love the smell of gasoline, the Father Jesus, uh, overhead projectors, and it's something that you've utilized in your past projects like Shadow Girls. Can you tell us why you chose to tell this story through that mix of narration and imagery and just is there a certain like lineage of using like overhead projectors or is that something you're just like, I want to try this. This is cool. Why not? <laughs> and it just became like a staple. <laughs> yeah, actually. So I can trace this back to Kesha Palm, um, who we were collaborating on shadow girls. The reason we started collaborating on shadow girls is because they were like, Oh, I got this overhead projector kind of neat. Like, do you want to come over and we'll just like, see what we can do with an overhead projector we were like, oh, this is really fun. This is really neat. Maybe we should like write a whole play just so we can use these overhead projectors. And that is what how Shadow Girls came into existence. And then doing that with Shadow Girls, now I own a million overhead projectors and I love them. They're so fun to work with. Um, and I'm, I'm generally a person in theater. I really like design-centric theater. Um, and so that's a really like easy way to do a design-centric show. It's really analog. You're like you can do such big designs with such little know-how. Like I don't know how to run a digital projector, but I definitely know how to put a bunch of junk on a, on an overhead projector and it'll look neat. <laughs> so that's one of the things I just love it as a medium. Um, really easy to do design heavy stuff. The other thing for this project specifically is I felt like thematically it fit like, you know, overhead projectors are, reducing a lighting grid to three simple machines it is reusing a bunch of junk and garbage a lot of the time you, bu you buy new materials too but it's a lot of reusing found objects to create the projections um, and it's repurposing these like antiquated um, pieces of technology so there was like kind of like a reduce reuse recycle vibe to that that I thought was applicable for this kind of show that's so cool <laughs> 
<laughs> and talking about analog and like video and, and stuff, last time we saw this piece was the, the Caminos Festival and it was a video because <clears throat> pandemic times. And now we get to see it live at Rutas. And how does, what does it mean to have like ongoing support also from Aluna being like, hey, we saw you at Caminos. We loved it. Let's see it like live. So what does it mean to have the support of a theater company? And also, how did you grow it from that video? Because the video was like 10, 15 minutes. The production, as far as it goes, like having support of Aluna, I would say something like that is really vital to a project becoming like coming to fruition um and i really respect and love aluna as a company and i've collaborated with them before i did chicho with their support you know you can do a bunch on your own end like getting grants etc but there's nothing like having a theater company that knows what they're doing to be in your court and also like they it, it, honestly it just bestows you with a sense of confidence right that like oh someone believes in the work therefore it's worth doing and that goes a long way if you're being a vulnerable writer that's like what if it sucks <laughs> um so that that's what i would say um i think by the time like when communis was happening the full script was actually already basically written and so i like pieced together something that was 10 minutes long for the communis festival and then the purpose of that workshop, like what we were workshopping was these images, like how, how are the images going to be integrated? And how did that inform things? I would say, yeah, we generated a lot of the images in that workshop. We had a second workshop in December um, after the Caminos Festival, and that also generated a lot of the images. There's still, I would say, maybe like 25% of the play left to generate images for, but most of it is kind of decided now as we go into rehearsals tomorrow prior, prior to this i feel like we we um had conversations about the projections but also the relationship with the people operating the the projectors even though it is a one-woman show and like your and it's centered around your personal experience it's still like very highly collaborative how many people are are, are actually like a part of a part of the project there are three projectionists um, and then there's also a um, set designer, Echo, Echo Ju, and then um, sound designer, Christopher Elizabeth, director, William Dow, production manager, Taylor Young. We've got a lot of, lot of hands on board, um, which is really exciting as well. But in terms of the actual, like, in the room, on the performance, on the stage, it's me and three projectionists. All those people are amazing, by the way, so... I know, it's a stacked team. I'm like, wow. <laughs> I'm really excited about all of them. <laughs> so with the projectionists, uh, how, how is that, building that relationship with them been? And like, how has that process gone? And honestly, just how important is is that relationship together mm -hmm. so actually for this chapter we have three new projectionists um some of whom i've worked with before and some of whom i have not uh so we're kind of building new relationships but i can speak to like what the relationship has been on like past like on shadow girls and also in the workshops leading up um to this presentation the projectionists are like like absolutely equal players like the amount of work that they're doing like those projections take so much like choreography is how I would describe it like they are their hands are busy the entire time prepping images doing the images cleaning up after that image switching on beat to the music that is playing um it's like pretty incredible 
yeah, they are definitely like the co-stars of the project. Um, and the audience can see like their position. So they're in front of the audience. The audience will watch them do their work. Um, and then in terms of like my relationship to them, like it's really, uh, the whole thing is done collaboratively, especially up until now we haven't had a director. So all the decisions in the room are being made collaboratively between me and the projectionists. So in that way, it has a, like a definite like collective creation devised work feel to it. Like we're both, we're using my script as this like starting point and then we're building on top of it together, which is kind of generally how I like to have the rooms that I'm in run. Like I really like when all the artists can show up as their full selves and bring all of their ideas as opposed to like a room that's really hyper hierarchical or like super delineated. Like, oh, this person just does this and this person just does this. Like I tell everyone in the room, like if you have an idea about the visuals, you shout it out. And if you've got an idea about the sound, you shout it out. Um, not to say that we don't have people who are experts in their fields, you know, like our sound designer, Chris Liz gets the final say on like what the sound's going to be because that's their field of expertise. But we all get to like contribute ideas um, to all aspects of the production. And I think that that's a healthy, fun way to work. There's definitely a question still up in the air. And I know Will, Will and I are both thinking of it is like what, like performatively, what is the relationship between the performer and these three projectionists? And so I'm excited to discover that in this rehearsal process as I become more of a performer, like what is the relationship? And I think it is going to be one of like, these are a team of people who are there to support me. And there's lots of like little interactions that happen that they hand me things or they pass me um, props that I need to use. Um, like where do we switch off? Like where do I use the projector instead of them? Do they do things um, that are aligned with what I want to have happen as like me, the character, or do they do things that uh, conflict with what I'm trying to do as a performer? Like those kind of questions we're just going to start looking into, which is neat. That's so cool. I remember when I saw Shadow Girls, seeing the projectionist like it was like watching two shows almost it's like watching the show and then watching the projectionist being like more, like it was a choreography it's like watching somebody do a whole choreography in front of you and it, it was it was incredible to watch because i think i watched shadow girls two or three times and one <laughs> big fan big fan uh, <laughs> no but, <laughs> but i remember because i watched it when you Sophia and Liz did it. Mm -hmm. I also watched it at, at Rhubarb. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. And I, I remember watching the projectionist also being so into this, like in the story and you can be like, oh my God, your energy, even their energy, you are like in the whole environment. Like you, I think that's the main thing is that when you see the whole thing, just having the same energy and you're like this show, oh my God, I can feel it. Because what they're doing is like really labor intense. So it, it is incredible. I was on the on the second installment of that one, the one where um, Sophie and Liz were performing. I was a projectionist on that on that production, and the feeling of doing it as a projectionist too is like, it's just so neat. Like you do, it gets into your body, and it's like muscle memory being like, okay, now I put this transparency on, and then I pour water, and then I hit the light switch off, quickly switch onto this puppet, move it to the beat of the music, switch, boom, pass this thing to the next projector, go. <laughs> And then every once in a while, you'll get a lull and you'll be like, okay, that number is done. Like that dance number is done. Now I wait, prep for the next one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's really energizing to do as well as to watch. And you pick that up as an audience member, right? You're like, wow, it's like pretty incredible to watch them do it. I'm like, yeah, go. <laughs> yeah. That's why I, I think it's so interesting if you say what is going to be your relationship with this piece. Because yeah, there's so many things you can do with this artist like so many yeah so many ways how you can tell a narrative 
So yeah, oh, interesting, juicy, <laughs> really good. <laughs> uh, and, and talking uh, about seeing like your projects grow and grow and, and go other places, we know because the internet told us. <laughs> and, and and also Beatriz mentioned in a previous interview about Ruta that collaboration in theater is key. Like right now, if you don't collaborate, what are you doing? Everybody's doing it. <laughs> Get with the program. But no. <laughs> How do you think? Yeah. Because we all know that the arts and money and stuff like that, collaboration is key for that. And also, just to tell a better story, I feel it's always good to collaborate with many people. And we know that I Love the Smell of Gasoline will be playing next March, mm-hmm. uh, next year in the Aki studio as a Pencil Kid production and presented with Nightwood Theater in association with Aluna Theater. And we just want to know, <laughs> yeah, I know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> most of our listeners are theater people. And we want to know, like, what is the process of reaching out to companies when, when, because I feel a lot of people, when you start a show, you're like, I have no idea. Like, I have this idea. I have this script. I don't, I don't know what was uh-huh. next. So how did you reach out to these companies? And, and how did you know they were the right fit for you? Great question. Um, so I would say the seed, the seed for reaching out in, for a lot on a lot of the projects I've done, because I also work as a producer on several other projects, and it almost always starts with a recommender grant. So you get a recommender grant or several, and then you reach out to the companies that gave you that recommender grant and you ask them for more support. And that could look like dramaturgical support. Um, that could look like space is a big one. Like the the thing you know, the companies aren't likely to have a lot of money to give you, especially at a, in a, at a beginning period. So your ask is usually something like, I need space to workshop something and I need advice. I need mentorship or dramaturgical support. And they're usually happy to give you that kind of support. Um, and then from there, so you tie that in with applying for grants. And then that's, I think, another big thing about being able to work with these companies is they also have limited funds, right? Like they can't, they have limited operational funds so if you can secure some more funding and come to them and be like, okay, hey, I've got this funding. Can we all do this together? Then you all pool these collected resources and that's when it, and that's when it happens. So I'd say it's you as an individual applying for grants and then following where the doors are opening and harnessing that as a collaboration. And, but the other thing is also laying seeds. Like if you're someone who's fresh out of um, theater school, like Andrew Donaldson is one of the people that I immediately asked to go for coffee when I graduated. Like I can remember sitting outside of Tarragon Theater with her when she was the associate artistic director there and being like, what do I do? <laughs> I would also recommend <laughs> having better questions than big, vague ones. Like, what do I do now? <laughs> but Andrea, <laughs> Andrea indulged those big, vague questions. <laughs> um, so I started building a relationship with her as well. Um, and so, yeah, I think personal relationships are also really key. Like, I had a friendly enough relationship with Andrea, you know, and I made sure to like go see her shows and talk to her on opening night and stuff like that. So that we, she knows who I am as a human. Um, and then the same thing with Aluna, like Aluna and I worked together on Chicho by Augusto Bitter. Similarly, they did, they supported the production and also helped like we were part of Caminos with that project. Um, so also helped with the whole developmental process. And so I just got in, I'm putting that in air quotes, in with Aluna Theater, um, which meant like I was, you know, reaching out to Bea as a mentor, reaching out to Trevor as a mentor. And so all those things come together. Like, I feel like this project really 
is the fruit of seeds that I planted so many years ago. Like it took, so it took, it's not like I woke up one day and I was like, I'm going to make a project happen. Like I, I planted those seeds so long ago. So if you're like, like coming out of theater school, plant your seeds now, expect crops in seven years. <laughs> <laughs> and, and how do you know they were like, they were like, this is the people I want to work with. I want to give a, like a smart answer to this, but I honestly think it's just one of those things of like, the people who you naturally click with, like when I went for coffee with Andrea, we like, again, it was, it was just, we built like a human kind of connection and some people you connect with better than others. And you just follow those connections. Like I think a lot of networking again, in air quotes is just making like friends, friends is maybe too strong of a word for your professional connections, but like, yeah, like, I don't know, just be nice to people and whoever is like, whoever you vibe with same way as any other thing in life that those are the doors you follow. So I didn't like look at all the companies in Toronto and say, Hmm, who's best for this production. I just went with the people I already had connections with. Right. Like I already knew Aluna. I already knew Nightwood. Um, and then actually conveniently like Nightwood is the fe a feminist theater company. So like I, as a woman, like fit into that pretty well. <laughs> um, and then Aluna is really invested in stories that are about land and like trans American, story so there's something about this like alberta ontario push pull of land and resources and politics that fit into that it was also a natural fit that way but the, i would say the bigger thing is just that i had connections with these companies already speaking of different companies you have your own company consecutive productions <laughs> i was just wondering if you could just talk about that like what led you to start your own production company yeah like just just hype yourself up a little bit <laughs> Um, well, it honestly, so it started because when you apply for the Fringe Festival, you have to give yourself a production company name. <laughs> and so truly, I was sitting on my couch in my pajamas applying for the Fringe Festival my first year out of university. And I was like, okay, well, what's something around me? I saw a pencil cut and I was like, hmm, pencil cut productions. That sounds snappy. Like, I'll go with that. Um, and then after I did the fringe, I was like, okay, so that's what self-producing feels like. I think I could do, I think I could do some more of that. So I did a couple of really indie level shows, like, like crowdfunded shows kind of vibes, profit share kind of vibes. Um, and then you just stick, I stuck with the moniker because it already had a following, a modest following, but it's better than starting from scratch. Right. So, and then, and then I was like, okay, well, I'm mean, going I want to apply for grants. I guess I'm going to continue using this production company. So it just kind of like happened. Uh, started as just a moniker and then it just gained traction. So that's how I did it. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. Simple, straightforward. Yeah. Just, uh, <laughs> I feel like all my things here are like, you just do a thing. If the door opens, you follow the door. Follow that door, follow that open door. <laughs> and I really like producing, actually. Well, well, <laughs> I don't like <laughs> the right word. <laughs> <laughs> yeah writers hate to write actors hate to act producers hate to produce I think that's accurate <laughs> um yeah <laughs> I always whenever I'm writing a grant I'm like oh my god this is the worst thing in the world like never let me do this again I hate this I hate this but there's nothing like getting a grant honestly that will make my whole month I'm like great nothing can go wrong this month because I got a grant <laughs> so I'm lucky that I have the right skill set for being a producer and I think that being able to self-produce is so essential to being an artist in today's world and if you're someone who can self-produce i absolutely encourage you to do so and write your grants and get get support get someone to read 
your grant. Get someone to help you out, someone who knows what to do. And, or get someone to like show you their old successful grant submission. That's also really, really helpful. But uh, if you're not someone who has that skill set, find someone who's an indie level producer and get them looped in early and learn together, grow together. Like they're not going to know exactly what they're doing, but you, you don't either. And so it's going to be great. And then you start building a long-term relationship. Again, yeah, your best networking is making friends with people who have good skill sets. <laughs> yeah, I think self-producing is really, is really interesting. Um, and speaking about conversations and new perspectives, uh, the Rutas Festival was born out of a desire of bringing art across the Americas to Toronto and to encounter new perspectives, voices and ideas and to engage in conversations about arts and human rights. And we wanted to ask you, what conversations or engagement do you hope I Love the Smell of Gasoline will bring to our audiences? I think I have to talk a little bit about what I'm not trying for to then talk about what I am trying for. I think a lot of art about climate change stresses how dire the situation is and how awful it is and how like appalling human behavior is. Um, and you leave being like, yeah, I'm appalled by everyone and myself and the world is ending and we definitely have to do something, but you don't necessarily know what to do. And it's just difficult. Like, I think emotionally it's a lot to handle. Like it's like going to get berated. Do you know what I mean? That's how it feels. Um, and so like, I think one of the things that I wrestle with as someone who is, cares about the climate is there's a lot of emotional labor in it, actually, of like, how do I balance all these feelings of futility and responsibility and anger and hopelessness and all of this stuff? How do I balance that in a way that I can then manage it and move forward with, with an action mindset? And so I think with this project, I'm hoping people come and they feel a softening, like uh, they're able to look at themselves and see that, oh yeah, as a human, I can hold all these things. I can hold some guilt and some hope and some, you know, I can hold all of that as an individual. And if you can like give yourself the space to still be a flawed human and still want better, then I think you can also give other people the space to be flawed and still want better. And I think if we're working from that place, as opposed to like a kind of moral absolutism, you're more flexible and you can find solutions that are actually possible. So I think I am hoping that people come to my show, they feel a softening, they feel a sense of self-forgiveness enough to then collaborate with other people and move forward that, and have conversations with a more nuanced, open, open to nuance and complexity in these conversations about the environment, less finger pointing, more understanding, and then therefore, how can we move forward together? Mm -hmm. I love I'm so excited <laughs> to put it together. <laughs> I'm so excited to see the show. <laughs> On the podcast, every episode, the current guest is asked to pose a question for the next guest. So just to keep the conversation going across like, practices and across borders uh, the question that is uh, posed for you comes from Sharzad and Anna the creators of Children of Fire Anna's question what led you to theater how did you start doing theater and then Sharzad's question I'll repeat it after um, is how does kindness play roles in your art 
I've been in theater like since I was a kid. I think that's the answer for a lot of people, right? I did community theater growing up and school plays and stuff like that. Um, which honestly was just, I was the kind of kid that loved to be on stage. I, <laughs> I just loved it. I loved it. Um, and it was like playing pretend. I was also a kid who played pretend for so long and theater was a way to continue playing pretend after you grow out of playing pretend, you know? Uh, I did not ever consider it as a career path. Actually in high school, I was like more of a, like I was a math kid and I was really into visual arts and I just did not, it did not occur to me that like real people did theater. Like <laughs> in my little teenager brain, you know, where like other people don't exist. I was like, yeah, plays happen, but like, I don't know, people made that happen. And then my, I would think I was planning on doing something like architecture and then there was one day in drama class that the drama teacher pulled me and a few other kids aside and was like, okay, so we've got to start preparing your auditions for university. So here's what you need to do. And just like, as if it was assumed. And I was like, I remember looking around being like, are we, did I miss it? Like, did I miss the first conversation? Like how, what? <laughs> and, uh, but yeah, just the way she talked about it, she was like, it was so obvious that that's like what we would all be doing. And I was like, Okay, great. I guess that's what I'm going to do. We're going to do that. If that's possible, then yeah, why not? So that's how I came into theater professionally. It was on a big why not. <laughs> All about being voluntold. Yeah. So you're going to do this and you're going to audition here. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and to repeat Sherza's question, uh, she asks you, how does kindness play roles in your art? Um, I think that kindness is so essential. And actually... I think that that's also the core of any um, like activism or anything. I think kindness has to be at the center of it. Like if you're fighting for human rights, like caring for your other humans has to be at the core. In theater, the way that like the practicalities of being kind to each other works out is again, making space for every artist to feel like they're arriving on the project as a full artist. Like I just think, like, how do I want to be welcomed onto any project is I want to arrive as my full self. I want to be able to be, yeah, I just want to be able to bring my full self. And so that also means like making room for people's identities, different ways of working. I think being really clear about the ways that you work off the top and encouraging transparency so that, you know, everyone, everyone can be transparent about the way that they work. Um, and I, so I say things like that, like, um, how rigid are you about start times? Um, how long do your breaks need to be, accessibility needs, stuff like that. And everyone's needs are different. Like if you're someone who's like, I need to start at nine o'clock. Or if you're someone who's like, listen, I've never been on time anywhere. I think both of those are fine. I think you just have to discuss it ahead of time um, and kindly. Like, yeah. So I think kindness, super essential. I don't know. I try to, I try to work a lot of kindness into everything I do in life. It's an ongoing, I mean, you know, you can always be more kind, but yeah. And be kind to yourself too. I think that's important. Yeah. Very important. Best advice. Be kind to yourself, please. Yeah. I think people are actually really bad at that. Maybe first and foremost is being kind to yourself, especially in the arts. Like it's so easy to be like, oh, my performance was crap. My script is crap. Like, but, but and I'm like, mm, that's, that's not helpful. <laughs> Oh, that's so nice. Thank you for continuing that conversation and also to keep it going. And as we say goodbye to the podcast, because this is our last question, we wanted to ask you, what would you like to ask to our next guest, who is another artist in the Rutas Festival? Um, I would ask them, what do they do outside of theater 
something not theater related that fuels them as a human and as an artist? I love that question. And people are like, ah, I, my hair. Like, I don't know. I'm just an artist. <laughs> <laughs> you don't do anything else. <laughs> uh, thank you so much. We will ask this question to the, ne to the next artist. And if you want to listen to the answer, listen to the next episode. That's it for today. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you so much, Teresa, for being my guest co-host. And thank you so much, Clarence, for being our guest in this episode. And we are so excited to see your show at Rutas. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for all the thoughtful questions and for being such great hype people, both of you. Thank you. <laughs> Check out the Rutas Festival from September 22nd to October 9th. For more information, visit alunatheater.ca. Hope to see you there. We're speaking from Takoronto. This is the traditional territory of the Haudenosaunee, the Nashinabe, the Wendat, and Mississaugas of the Credit. This land is covered by the digital one spoon wampum and treaty 13, also known as the Toronto Purchase. At Aluna, we remember that people can begin to heal when they are hurt. We are committed to artful participation in disagreements. We are committed to unsettling ourselves towards connection, respect, and justice for all people who now live in this city, which has been a meeting place since time immemorial. Radio Luna Teatro is supported by Aluna Theatre with support from the Toronto Arts Council, the Ontario Arts Council, the Canada Council for the Arts, the Department of Canadian Heritage, and TD Bank. Aluna Theatre is Beatriz Pisano and Trevor Shellness. Radio Luna Teatro is produced by Monica Garrido and Lucia Linares. For more about Aluna Theatre, visit us at alunatheatre.ca, follow at Aluna Theatre on Twitter or Instagram, or like us on Facebook.